everybody. Let me get my mic. There we go. Hello, everybody. This is Anthony. Um, we have a lot to cover tonight, so I'm jumping on a little early. And just join me as you can. Go back, review this, look into it, and you'll find exactly what I found. That um, what I'm going to be presenting today is is very interesting. It shook me to the core. Um, when I started researching this, when I started looking at it, I began to realize I had been indoctrinated, I had been ingrained, um, it had been ingrained into my mind that Jesus was poor. And they said, look, you know, he was born in a manger. He was in a barn. You know, um, yes, he traveled around and stuff, but... He had no home, and throughout most of his ministry, he had no home, and I had heard all these things growing up, and especially being Catholic, and I'm not necessarily blaming on the Catholics, but we definitely see a lot there, and if you pay attention to the mindset of Catholics, you find that they're not to trust themselves with wealth, they need to hand over their wealth to the church, because the church can manage their wealth better, and if you just kind of look at it from an objective point of view, you'll get to the exact same point, I believe. So as we go through this, I want to really attack the idea that um, material uh, prosperity for Christians is not um, is not necessarily... Uh, I want to attack the idea that Material possessions are bad, okay? That prosperity for a Christian is bad. And we're going to be opening up a whole can of worms here, okay? So this is why I want you to study. I want you to go back. I want you to look at the scriptures I'm going to be presenting today. And come to your own conclusion. But study it out. Study it out in, in full. And you'll, you'll notice um, there's some things that I've learned through some rabbis, like uh, Pastor or Rabbi Daniel Lappin, he has a book called Thou Shalt Prosper. I don't necessarily agree with everything written in the book, but he points out some very interesting things. For instance, how from a very early age, Jewish people, they're not taught that money is bad. We're constantly taught that money is bad, right? And that's not cool. So we grow up with this mindset that money is negative. Hey, Joshua. Um, and that it's bad, and we view everything through that lens. And so what's happened in the church is it's allowed condemnation to step in and see, look, it's bad, you shouldn't want it, it's, it's of the world, and, and all this stuff. But if we, if we take honest assessment, and this is what Jewish people are taught from an early age, they have to memorize the Torah, right? And... We find that the God created finances. He created prosperity. In fact, if we go to Genesis chapter 2, we find that it was him who made the gold and the precious gems and everything. So you begin to realize, for me, I begin to realize, oh my gosh, like, if it was bad, God says it's good. That he created everything and he said, and it was good. So, it's not the gold that's bad. It's the hearts of people and their motive 
that's actually bad. So, when we look at another verse, like, um, for instance, Ecclesiastes 10, I think it's, I believe it's verse 19, it says that money answers all things. This is in the scripture, that money answers all things. But then we have the scripture, like 1 Timothy 6.10, that the root of all evil is the love of money. See, so money answers all things because it's a great tool. The problem is, is that people place this tool in, in, in a position that makes it a God in their life. And if we're honest, if we look at what Jesus said, if, if you realize there's some statistics out there that you can research, that Jesus meant, talked about money out of, one out of every seven uh, sentences in the book of Luke. So in one in every seven verses, I think it's what it is, deals with money. And that is interesting. The only thing he talked about more than money was the kingdom of God. So Jesus spent quite an amount of time discussing money. And one of the things he says is you can't have two masters. And notice he doesn't say God and the devil. He says God and money. God and mammon. And so when we look at our society, and this is something I've had an issue with for a while now, we've been taught to be slaves to money. It's a sophisticated slavery. And when we look in the old days, they were able to live and sustain themselves and everything without any money. Per se, they had um, health and wealth and, and everything that they needed from the earth. And this is why land was so important. And so when you begin looking at how everything functioned back then and how it was, it's its completely different. Um, obviously in different cultures, right? But going back to what we're talking about is there's this idea that Jesus lived in poverty. And because he lived in pro- poverty, we're supposed to live in poverty. But that's not true. That's not true at all. In fact, we find that There's this is overwhelming evidence. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. But there's two scriptures that people quote all the time to substantiate the idea that Jesus was poor. And the first one is Luke 9, 58. It says, And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. So people say, See, look, he didn't have a house. He was... He was homeless. No, if you pay attention to what's going on, he's traveling at the time. In fact, if you go to Mark chapter 2, you find out he has a house in Capernaum. He's not homeless. He has a house. And in fact, you know, Joshua pointed out in, the, in uh, Jehovah Jireh 1 that they tore up his roof. Four guys tore up Jesus' roof. And he didn't complain or anything about that. But when you look at it, it, you begin to realize, oh my gosh, like this makes no sense at all. What we've been ingrained in and taught. So the other scripture they use is, for we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that th- though he was rich, 
Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you might, uh, that through his poverty, that you through his poverty might be rich. And so that's Second Corinthians eight nine, and so they say, see, look, Jesus was made poor so you can be rich, and yeah, that's that's not true either because we have to ask ourselves when did Jesus become poor? Because if we look at his birth, and this is what people try to use, right? We look at his birth. He w- they were going to get into a hotel. It wasn't that they couldn't afford it. There was no room for them in the hotel. So it wasn't that they were poor. Right? Not only that, but what's interesting is if we go to his birth and all the wise men that came to him, it doesn't say three. That is a tradition of man. That's a flat out lie. There's no uh, mention of how many came. We just know that there were three different gifts. From the wise men. It could have been 60. It could have been 70. It could have been 2. Right? But you can see that it was quite a bit. That it drew the attention. Of. Uh, Herod. Because he was threatened. He was very insecure. You can see. Just his whole personality. And, and how he was constantly threatened. And so. When you begin to realize. Man. Look at this. Jesus, when did he become poor? He became poor for us when he hung on the cross. And we can see this simply if we just take time to really study and digest Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, and verse 10. And it says, Surely hath bore our griefs. And that word griefs there is choli, which actually means diseases, and carried our sorrows. And this word is macabre which means pains. And if you go back and you look at every instance of those words coming in into play, you'll see that that's the correct translation, not what they've translated griefs and sorrows. It's wrong. Yet, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All... Uh, all we have, like sheep, gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Remember? Talking about grief. It says The Amplified says this. He has put him to grief and made him sick. When thou, ha- when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So when we actually take time and we, we digest this, when we look up the word for peace, it's the word shalom. And the word shalom means safe, well, happy, welfare, health, prosperity, and rest. It doesn't just mean peace. It's a totality. It's, it's a completeness. It's a wholeness. And when we actually look at, for instance... Um, the blessing of Abraham. Because if we pay attention to Galatians three, thirteen and 14, it says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being come because uh, being made a curse Sorry, for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of of the Spirit through faith. Now, 
when we, when we start looking at certain scriptures and really start drawing context, what was the blessing of Abraham? Tell me. Can you tell me what the blessing of Abraham was? The blessing of Abraham was, I'm going to prosper you. And your seed is going to be beyond the, the grains of sand on the seashore. Isn't that what he said? Not only that, but when you actually go back and you, you begin looking at the what happened to Abraham as a result of being blessed and entering into a covenant with God, God, he prospered him. He prospered him. He started prospering everywhere he went. Not only that, but when he started following God, he wasn't coming from a poor family. He was coming from a rich family. So there's many things that really stand out um, that we're going to be diving into. But I want to show you certain things because it's really about the motive of the heart. And this is what we're getting at. Because if you pursue, your, you, you'd spend all your time, you focus on going after money and your heart's only for money and getting more money and getting more money. Proverbs is very clear about this. It's an empty hole. It's, it's a void. You can never get enough. And so you're always trying to get more and more and more and more. It, 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 it makes a horrible God. But it's a great tool. So when you realize that it's a great tool and you just let God use it and flow through your hands so you can fulfill the promise, you can fulfill the plan of God He has for your life. A lot of us, we think, oh, I need to be a millionaire to do this. Oh, I need to have this. I need to have that. You know what? You don't. You just need to let finances flow through your hands. You know, let health flow through your hands for healing, right? And all these things, you, you begin to realize that it, God, He's the supplier. He, he provides. And Jesus was not poor. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 8, you find that Jesus had some of the richest people in Judea at that time, in Israel at that time, supporting his ministry. You go to Luke 8, 1 through 3. They supported his ministry. Some of the richest people of that time supporting his ministry because they benefited from his ministry. A lot of people don't talk about that. Right? They don't talk about how what I was bringing up yesterday, th that his clothes, his undergarments were so expensive. That's why the Romans were casting lots. They don't cast lots for rags. They weren't gambling for rags. They were gambling for riches. And they were his clothes. You see what I'm saying? When you take time and you begin to digest this, and you begin to think it over, it all begins to click and makes sense. And there's just so many, so many things to pay attention to that I'm telling you, as I've been going through this and seeing how Jesus wasn't homeless and people are taking stuff out of context. So let's look at nine, uh, Luke 9, 51 through 58, showing you that Jesus was traveling and didn't have a place to stay. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set, set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. 
when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, what do you want us to call do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they returned to they went to another village. And as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds have the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So we can see that he was being rejected as he was traveling. He wasn't allowed, like people didn't want him to go to one city. So he was making, um, he was looking for a second place to stay because the first place didn't work out. And this is where he says this quote. Now, a lot of people don't go into that. They don't cover that. They don't look at the context and see exactly what he's saying, right? And so, when you begin to look at what, what Scripture actually says, like in Matthew four twelve and 13, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so, when you begin to look at this, oh my gosh, you know, Matthew 9, 1, Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Right? A few days later, Mark 2, 1, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So, how is he homeless and just wandering everywhere and not having a home when it clearly says he has a hometown? If you read a little further, it says he has a house. He has a home. So it's just like, okay. And, and having again entered Capernaum after some days, he went, uh, he was heard as of being at home. He was at his house. And Jesus couldn't come home unless he had a home to come to. I mean, it's just using some common sense, right? Not only that, but how many homeless people have to pay taxes? They don't got money. They don't have an income, right? But didn't he have to pay taxes? Yes, he had to pay taxes. He was the one assisting the poor. He was constantly giving money to the poor. In fact, we find that in John 13, 27 through 29. Then Jesus said unto him, to, to Judas, that thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag, as in purse, right, that Jesus had had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So I have to ask you, how many people that have no money at all, I mean, this is probably more common today, but how many people that have no money at all, money at all have an accountant? Not only that, but having so much money that the accountant steals from your purse, steals from your bank account, and you don't even notice that it's gone. I can tell you, if you have a small amount of money in your bank account, and you go to grab it to give it give it away, and it's not there, you're going to notice something's wrong. But all this time, we can see that he was never called out on it, even though Jesus knew he was stealing, right? So there's constant things that really just bolster forwards in, in my eyes showing how 
we've looked over these things and we accuse Jesus of being poor when he was never poor. Right? So Jesus distinguished himself from the poor. Oh, you don't don't think about that too much, right? John 12, 8. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So there's a difference. Yep. Yep, that's right. And so when you begin to look at it, you look at the expensive perfume, you look at everything that's covered, for me, I was just like blown away. How did I miss this? How did I not know that Jesus was well off? Now understand, was he filthy rich? No. He wasn't there to, to amass wealth and riches. He was there to be a conduit to a, to effectively cause change everywhere he went. So use money as a tool. And this is what he's he's teaching. This is what he's he's getting at. He says, "Hey, don't make money your god. You can gain and gain money, and never ever feel fulfilled." Look at the the rich young ruler. He said, "Oh, I've kept all the commandments. I've kept all the commandments, Lord." He says, "Okay." And you can see if you just read it slowly, you can see Jesus interrupted him in in the midst of his little spill that he had kept all the commandments since his birth. He says, okay, go sell all that you have and come follow me. And it says the young man, the, the, the rich young ruler walked away in great sadness because he had great possessions. What did Jesus just prove to him? Prove to him that he coveted things. And to walk with God, to follow God, it's not about coveting things. So when you realize there's a balance to this also, because some people, they take the message of, of God wanting to prosper you in every area of your life, and they take it to extreme. And they say, well, you know, I, I, I want five cars. What do you need five cars for? You're expecting four of them to break down? Like, what's the point of having five cars? Just because you can? That's ridiculous. Well, I want, I want three Citation Jets. What for? Are they being used for the gospel 24-7? Or is it just so you can brag about the jets that you have? Like, what's your, what's your motive? What's your heart's motive? You're not fooling God. You might fool man, but you're not fooling God. And God knows exactly what's in your heart. And so, as believers, we need to bring it back into balance in saying, let's, let's pour finances into the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom. Let's, let's invest in the kingdom of God. Just as Jesus says, put your treasures, store your treasures up in heaven. Not here on earth where, where rust and moths and decay can eat away at them. But store your treasures in heaven. And so when we really get this and we understand that finances aren't to be hoarded, onto and everything else but we we give freely i mean this is how daisy and i live we we literally pour out everything we have for the gospel we we pour out all our finances for trips we you know we work we we do everything we can and here's the thing that god provides god gives bread to the sower he gives seed to the sower right 
Why? Because he knows that you're going to spread it. He knows you're going to plant it. He knows that it's going to flow through you and not stick to you. And there's so much that God wants you to see and he wants you to know. He wants you to realize that he is your provider. The most high God, possessor of heaven and the earth. The, Lord, the earth is the Lord's. The Lord of all the earth. Will he not do right? Will he not watch over his word to perform it? Will he not fulfill his promise? His promise to provide for you, to protect you, to heal you, to, to so much more. I mean, I've got tons of scriptures here. Oh, excuse me. It says, who has, claimed, who has claimed against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. This is God speaking in Job 41.11. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof in the world and they that dwell therein. Psalms 24, one. The earth is full of thy riches. Talking to God. This is David talking to God. Psalms 104.24. God said to himself, For every beast of the forest in mine is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all of the fowls of the, on the mountains and the beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry... I would not tell thee, for the world is mine in the fullness thereof. So when you when you look at this and everything that, that God's saying is everything's his. See, when you realize you're not, but as a child of God, get this, okay? Get this. This is so key. As a child of God, God has a plan for your life. That only you can fulfill. It's going to take finances. Okay? Understand. It's going to take finances. It's going to take money. And so what he, What does he do? He allows someone else to hold on to it. Because you don't need it right now. But when you need it. And you say, okay God. The need is, is coming. And God brings it. And it meets the time. And you step into your destiny. So people temporarily steward the finances for your ministry, for the plan of God on your life, and, and so that you can step into what God has for you. Is it for you to buy five houses and three boats and a couple cars? And No, 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 no. Now, does it mean that you can't have nice things? No, you can have nice things. But what I'm saying is don't let the nice things have you. I've seen it. I've seen it over and over and over. A lot of people, you know, if I named names, you would be shocked. But ultimately, they have to answer before God. Just like we have to answer before God. Don't let finances or God being a provider hinder you from what he's called you to do. You need to run your own race. Don't stop. Don't back up. Don't ever slow down. You need to run your own race. So here's the thing. Did Jesus ever lack? Did his disciples, his disciples, did they ever lack? Now I can destroy it all with one scripture. Luke twenty two thirty five. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, 
did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. Hmm. So here's the testimony of his disciples as he sent them out. They lacked nothing. And we can see Jesus wore nice clothes, John 19, 23 to 24. We can see that Jesus was, was prosperous. He had gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And as he grew up, he had some of the richest people support him. I mean, we can go on and on and on. We can look at Jacob. We can look up Isaac. We can look up uh, um, Abraham. Right? We can look at the, the people of Israel that spoiled Egypt, one of the world powers of the time. Took all the wealth from them. They borrowed and, and, and took gold and silver and everything else. People just wanted them gone and they just gave it to them. And so they made out like bandits. With all this, this finance and substance and wealth. Even today, do you realize that Jewish people only make up one percent of the less than one percent of the entire Earth's population, but they control up to ninety percent of the Earth's finances? Because they know this, they know that finances aren't bad; they're not evil. It's loving the finances that's evil. That that's the root of evil, right? Those finances and and empower. And all these things that they pursue after, but they're missing. They're missing the mark. They don't realize what it actually means to follow Jesus and walk in true prosperity. See, you have to ask yourself, what's the point of prospering? What is the point of prospering? How many people can you help if you're if you're laid up in a homeless homeless in a ditch? Well, God wants you to steward. And minister to thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. It takes finances. It takes money. It takes time to travel. It takes time to, to sustain um, your needs and, and, and so much more. So when you begin to look at it from God's point of view, all of this is His. And all we do is trust Him as provider to always provide for us. And this is what we're getting at. And this is what... Um, Jehovah Jireh is all about is when we place our trust in him he comes through and so it's a matter of just being resolute not moving but consistently standing with God standing with him and just moving forward God wants you to know that he has purpose for your life that he wants finances to flow in you and through you He's going to prosper you. You're not going to lack. But you need to trust Him and you need to be obedient to Him. Purpose in your heart. Do what's right before God. This is what's important. This is what He's looking for. He's not looking for sacrifices. He's looking for willingness and obedience. He desires willingness and obedience over sacrifice. And this is something we need to understand when you get back to and start placing our trust in God instead of doing stuff out of fear. God wants you to prosper. So I hope this has blessed you. I hope you um, start studying this out. There's a great book by Kenneth Hagin called Midas Touch. Uh, I'll, I'll link it here in the in the video after I'm finished. So you can go and you can study this out. You can look at it. 
There's another book called Thou Shalt Prosper by Daniel Lappin. It's a very thick read. Um, he puts down people. I don't fully agree with it, like I'm telling you. But he makes some very interesting points because you begin to realize that it's a mindset. It's a mindset in understanding that God wants you to prosper. He wants you to show and demonstrate that he's in covenant with you. And that's why he's prospering you. And that's why he's growing you. And that's why he's increasing your circle of influence. And that's why, you know, he's doing all these things for his glory, for for the advancement of his kingdom. So thank you. I hope this has blessed you. I hope this has made a difference in your life tonight. You have a wonderful evening and we will see you tomorrow.